And I want to use this opportunity to welcome those who are worshiping with us through LifeGate Outreach TV and uh, through our audio channels in Buzzsprouts and also in iTunes. May God continue to bless you where you are. Thank you for the testimonies that you send in from time to time through our Facebook and other media that you do get in touch. We are truly encouraged by them and we pray that God will continue to honor his word in your life as well. In the name of Jesus. I want to say that God has truly been helping us to understand him more as we have been studying his names in the last few weeks. We have gone about seven weeks now, six, seven weeks, and um, we, it's an, it's an eight-part series, so we're doing part seven today, and we'll be rounding it up by next Sunday by the grace of God. Just looking at the names of God and knowing how to enjoy holiness by his divine help. And um, our banner has been such the one that we have been using to identify the, the key themes that we are looking at at this season. This last uh, four, uh, the second section of the, the series has these four names that we are looking at. We looked at Elohim, Jehovah last week, and today we are looking at Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Nisi. And I'll be telling you a little bit more about that. Uh, as I said, there are so many names of God that we can take a lifetime to continue to understand God. Every sentence in the scripture that describes God in any way, shape, or form reveals a name of God. Some of it is like one scripture that repeats his name in different ways, but then it is his name as well. And so we have been reading over time from our key scripture for the season. In 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to read it again. 1 Peter chapter 1 from verse 13, which is the anchor scripture for this series. Let's read together, church. One, two, go. Therefore... Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 14, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. Verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Verse 16. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Hallelujah. And I've said to you over and over again, and I will say it again, that what God says we should be is what we can be. When God said, be fruitful, since that day, man began to multiply. He said, be fruitful, multiply. And man began in honor of that word and in obedience to that word and in response to that commandment, man began to be fruitful and man began to multiply. It is amazing to see how God does what he has said man should be. And so if God says man should be holy, that simply means man can be holy and man will be holy. Amen. So holiness is not a fad. Holiness is not a farce. Holiness is not something that is unattainable. Holiness is not some myth. Holiness is the nature of God that he said we can be and we should be. May God continue to grant us understanding in the name of Jesus. Now, and I've said also that there is no way we can know how to be what we do not understand. The holiness of God is expressed in his names. The holiness of God simply means his epitome of who he is. And these are expressed in his several names. We all know that names have significance. Names are not just for identification. Of course, primarily when something is called a name, it is to identify it. But much more, it also defines our function. Names also define our purpose. 
This is why you find in scripture, and this is why we, we name our children conscientiously. We don't just, you know, throw up names in the sky and pick up whatever comes to our hand and say, that's the name of the child. We don't do that. We intentionally, as Christians and as covenant people, take time to know what God wants to call each child, and we give them such names. Now, I know that some of you might have named your children without that intentional, conscientious effort, but by the Spirit of God inside you, I'm sure you must have been inspired by the Spirit of God to name your child. And if you find out at any point in time that the name of a child is not a good name, you just called it because you like the tone, you find out it's not a good name, you can change it. Somebody say, change it. Change it. Yeah, just change it. <laughs> There's not, even if God changed the names of people, who are we not to change names? <laughs> God by himself, he named somebody, then changed the name. So why, why are you afraid to change? If you find that the name means devil, you say, no, son, you will not be devil. <laughs> because you took some names, you didn't understand. You just like the sound. You just like the sound. They say the name is Kizito. What is Kizito. You went and you found out that Kizito means the best devil. <laughs> and you have been calling the poor child Kizito for years. You say from today, so you are not Kizito. <laughs> I changed your name <laughs> to Prince or something good. Hallelujah. Look at that. God called Enoch. Enoch means dedication. Somebody say dedication. Dedication. No wonder the Bible says, and Enoch walked with God and he was not. He called Noah rest. The, the meaning of Noah is rest. No wonder Noah, out of several people that were on the thousands of people that were on the face of the earth that time, he was the only one that found grace with God. His name meant rest. Abraham initially was called father. And that name was with him for 75, 80 years until God said, no, you will not longer just be Abraham. You will become Abraham because there is a covenant of God upon your life to be father of many nations. So the name Abraham means father of many. Expanded his destiny from that one singular name, Abraham. And we can go on. Isaac was a covenant child. His name means laughter. God has caused me to laugh. I have a friend who waited with his wife for about 10 years. You've seen him here before. Some of you would not remember him. And uh, he's still going to be here by the grace of God. He's a professor in a Nigerian university. Very close friend of mine. For 10 years plus, he and his wife waited for the first child to come. And when the child was born, they named him Isaac. But they don't just call him Isaac. They actually called him Laughter. I said, this name is serious, my friend. He said, yes. He said, because God had really caused me to laugh. <laughs> Hallelujah. But Isaac simply means laughter. And then there is uh, the name, uh, Jacob. Now, Jacob originally meant supplanter, deceiver. And as long as that name was working, he was supplanting and deceiving, and cheating, and tricking everywhere. Then God said, you can't continue like this, because you are in the covenant lineage. Then God changed his name to what? Israel, which means the prince of El, the prince of God. Israel, prince, El, God, Israel. He said, that is what you are, because you are part of a covenant that is meant to change the course of the affairs of man. And so names are very important. So the day God changed him to Israel, he became a covenant child. And then his own son, Joseph, that name means addition. Joseph was an adder. He kept on adding everywhere he went. He was adding to his brethren. He was bringing good news to them, giving them good dreams, even though they misinterpreted him and hated him for it. But those dreams were what was going to set the children of God apart. When they sold him into slavery and he went to Potiphar's house, the Bible says Potiphar said, I can see that God is blessing me because of you. You are addition. 
God is blessing me because of you. When Joseph was to go into prison, the man didn't just have a choice. He didn't like it because Joseph's presence in his house meant blessing. He confessed it himself. We know that when he came out of prison, what did he do to Pharaoh? He added to Pharaoh. He did what no man had ever done before. He gave a revelation of what was coming. Just like we would have today the Bank of England sitting there every month forecasting to us and telling us things. He could forecast the economy, something that no human being had ever done. And Egypt became the world center of economics. And everybody had to depend on Egypt because the man called addition was there. And he gave addition to Pharaoh. He said, let us, there are going to be 14 years. The first seven is going to be very good. It's going to be very good. He said, but what we need to do is we must not spend everything. We must save because the next seven will be years of famine. And then the world will have to come to Egypt. And that was God's plan to make sure that his own children relocated to Egypt to be kept for 400 years before God was going to reveal himself to them as Jehovah. Before that time, they never knew him as Jehovah. They knew him as El. They knew him as Elohim, God the creator. So it is very important we celebrate names and we understand why we're studying the names of God. We can go on and on and on. Moses meant brought out from the water. Moses brought out from the water. But he was not just brought out from the water. He was brought out from his own people to be a deliverer to his own people. So we see his name also manifesting. David, obviously we know that David was born in the house of Jesse. But before David was born, we had Saul. The word Saul simply meant asked for. Somebody that was not really God's plan, but they asked for him. And that was... Enough for us to understand why Saul had struggles throughout his time. He was a king that was foisted on the Israelites because the people just demanded for a king. God was not willing to give them a king at that time. That is why the Saul in the New Testament, when he was called, the first thing God did was to change his name to Paul. He said, you will not be called asked for because I want to use you. And then the word Paul means little. Paul was a very proud man, very arrogant man. He used to take letters by himself. Nobody sends him. He commissions himself to do whatever he liked to do, especially against Christians, against the Jews. And God knew that this was going to be a mighty tool in my hand. So God took his name, changed it from Saul, which is asked for, and changed it to little. Little meaning you are going to become nothing so that I can use you the way I chose. That's why he first blinded him, changed his name to little, made him of, they had to lead Paul with hand. To where he was going to be. Hallelujah. Why did I go through all this? David is called the beloved. No wonder God said concerning him, I have found a man after my own heart. Why did I go through all this? I want us to understand that the study of the names of God may look like a very boring subject. It is not one of those things you preach in, in, in messages that you want people to be shouting, yeah, who, ha. But if you know God by his names, as I've always insisted, you will understand how your holiness can be complete because you can tap into him the way he expects you to. Praise the Lord. So it is important to continue to understand the names of God. So far we have seen that the names of God stem from two big names. Say Elohim and Jehovah. Last week we looked at Jehovah. Elohim, we looked at two weeks ago. All the L names of God come from Elohim. Elohim is the name that introduces God to us. The name L is God 
and Elohim is God the creator. The first, the last, the one that was and is and is to come. The one who made all things. So Elohim introduces God to us. So when we say he is El Shaddai, we are saying God is God Almighty. Hallelujah. And so on and so forth. We have El Elyon, we have El Konkon, and we have all the El names that represent God in his nature of the person that is introduced to us. But last week, we started to look at the other uh, strand of God's names called Jehovah. The names of God called Jehovah are the name, is the name that reveals God to us. Elohim introduces God to us. Jehovah reveals God to us. Amen. And the revelation of God to us is what allows us to have a relationship with him. That is why the name Jehovah is associated ultimately with Jesus. So we have Jehovah, we have Yahweh, we have Jah, all of them are the same thing. And we have Yeshua, which is the revealed Christ in the New Testament. Yeshua. And last week I told you how Yeshua confirmed that he was, he was the I am. Moses said, I am. God said to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, he said, you go and tell them, I am that I am has sent me. In John chapter 8, Jesus was speaking with the people. He said, before Abraham was, I am. He did not say I was. Or he didn't say I will be. He said, I am. And they wrote it the same capital letters, the same way God spoke to uh, uh, Moses when he was sending him back to Israel. So it is very important, back to Egypt, sorry. It is very important for us to understand that the names of God in Elohim and Jehovah are to help us to build a relationship with him, particularly the names Jehovah. The names of Jehovah are so important, they are repeated in over 6,500 times in scriptures. Meanwhile, the Elohim and the El strands are recorded just about two and a half thousand times. So Jehovah Nissi that we are studying today is one of those names of Jehovah that is meant specifically to facilitate a relationship with God, to, with us, through Christ. Jehovah Nissi. Let's look again at our scripture in Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. I please want to crave your indulgence to be very attentive and take notes today because I really took some time to study this particular name because it has a significance in terms of our work of holiness and also how we stand as Christians so much. Before we read Exodus chapter 17, those of you that would remember... Um, from scripture, when the children of God were uh, emancipated from Egypt, it was a very powerful hand in Exodus chapter 12. I'll just recapitulate what happened up to chapter 17. Of course, Exodus chapter 3 is where God called Moses, and then verse chapter 4 is when he went, and from all the way from chapter 5 right through to chapter 12 was a battle, serious battle of 10 plagues with Pharaoh before he let the people go. But you see, in Exodus chapter 12, there was a Passover. And that Passover meant that the blood of the lamb that the children of Israel were to put on their lintels and their doorposts were to prevent them from being smitten, their firstborns from being smitten by the angel of death. And so they were, uh, they were protected and then they were released by God's mighty hand. Exodus chapter 13, we read that God actually met them and spoke to them. He said, I will keep being with you as the... Uh, uh, pillar of cloud by day and uh, 
a pillar of fire, of fire by what? By night. So by day and by night, I will continue to be with you. The cloud by day and the fire by night. The cloud by day and the fire by night. And then in Exodus chapter 14 was one of the most dramatic things ever to take place in human history. This was when they met the Red Sea and God asked Moses to lift up his rod. And as he lifted up his rod, the Bible says that the sea parted. You know those words that I like very much? Hither and thither. I like King James for that. King James looked at it and said, what am I going to call this kind of thing? <laughs> he said, they parted hither and thither. <laughs> Don't say here and there. Here and there. It's not. It's not. Hither and thither. <laughs> so the, the, the dramatic release of God's people, they crossed that sea and the same sea swallowed up all the enemies of God. By Exodus chapter 15, they were all singing. Sing unto the Lord. He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his riders have been thrown into the sea. And they were dancing and dancing. But before they knew it, they came to a place called Mara, and the waters they wanted to drink there were bitter. And they began to curse God again. The same people who were singing just a few moments before now started to curse God and say, Moses, you should have left us in Egypt. And so it was very important for us to understand that as God delivered them through that experience, in Mara, God first appeared to them as Jehovah Rapha. We're not looking at that now. That's Exodus 15, 26. He said, I am the Lord who heals you. And so it is important that as they came out of Egypt, God began to reveal himself to them as Jehovah. He first told him, Jehovah has sent me, sent you. He said, tell them, Jehovah has sent you. I am that I am has sent you. And as they came out, he began to reveal himself as the various parts of Jehovah. So Jehovah, they saw in Exodus 15, 26, they saw him as Jehovah Rapha. Now, in Exodus chapter 16, we were also told that there was plenty of manna for them when they complained that there was no food. They had manna in the daytime, and they had quails in the nighttime. And God said to them, don't take more than is necessary. But of course, you know, the children of Israel are so dis disobedient. Some of them took more, and they found that by the next day, it was spoiled. Why am I going through all this? God was showing his power. Before we get to where he revealed himself as Jehovah Nissi, he was showing his power to them in different ways, but they were not understanding. He knew that they did not know him, so he was trying as much as possible to let them understand that he cared for them. And I want you and I to know today that when we come to the crossroads of life, we must understand that God has shown us so many things already, that he has proved over and over that he loves us. He is concerned about you and I. He said he will not leave you nor forsake you. I want you to know that every time you meet a challenge that is beyond what you have ever met before, never ever think God has left you. The children of Israel forgot this many times. And then suddenly they said they want to go back to Egypt. They forgot that to go back to Egypt, you have to cross the Red Sea again. It didn't even occur to them that to get back to Egypt, now we have to go and cross that sea again. They said, let us just go back to Egypt. We were eating garlic and uh, all these things there, and cucumbers. <laughs> Hallelujah. So these are very funny things that happen, but you see, in our lives we must understand. Anytime we, we just say things flippantly and just do things and let go of the things of God or, or, or the promises of God, what we are doing is that we are doing exactly like the children of Israel. And 1 Corinthians 10.6 tells us that we should not allow the examples that they gave to us to be forgotten. That those things were recorded for our examples. Amen. Amen. And so when they got to this place in Exodus chapter 17, there was another test of water 
That is where we read from the verse 1 right up to verse 8, verse 7. There was another test of water being unavailable completely. They forgot that it was the same God that took a rod and put it in the bitter water and it became sweet that was still available. God now said, I'm going to stand on top of the rock like we read earlier on. And those of you listening to the audio, go and read Exodus chapter 17, verse 1, right through to verse 16, and then you get the context. The Bible says, God said, I will go and wait for you on top of the rock, strike the rock. And as he took the elders there and struck the rock, water came forth. So God had shown himself many times. Now, something significant happened here that had never happened before. That is why I went through all this. Let's read verse 8 together in Exodus 17, so that you understand why he had to reveal himself as Jehovah Nissi, their banner. Let's read together verse 8. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. This was the first time ever that these people will fight a war. All along, they've been building for 400 years. What they know how to do is to make clay and big mighty structures. They know how to do all those kind of things. But to fight a war, no clue. No idea whatsoever. And suddenly, the Bible says, Amalek came and fought with Israel in this place called Rephidim. It was a valley that the Amalekites were intending to consume them completely. They were going to finish them off. So God knew that the battle at Rephidim would happen. So over time, from the Passover, leaving Egypt taking the spoils of the Egyptians, leaving Egypt, and right through to the point they were going to get to Rephidim, God made sure that he revealed himself to, to them in different ways. And so this battle with Amalek is their first. And what I want us to understand is that this battle is a representation of the battles we face even today. Amalek is a type of the satanic forces against the Christians and against the church of God. He is the one that Jesus talked about when he said, I will build my church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He was referring to a type of the Amalekites that we read about in the Old Testament. The Amalekites were sworn arch enemies of God and anything good. Now, they are no longer existing today as physical human beings, but the spirit of Amalek that was rife in the atmosphere, that wanted to destroy the children of Israel, is still very much with us today. He is the spirit of the archangel, the one who is called the devil, the one who is called Satan, who has only one mission, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The one who has only one mission, to frustrate the church. That Jesus had to say, I will personally build my church. Don't forget the church is not a church building. The church is not a denomination. The church is not something that we always rationalize it to. The church is the collection of the body of Christ. Every one of us is a church in the church. Every one of us as children of God are a church in ourselves and then coming together we are the church, the body of Christ. Amen. Amen. It is so important. The devil walks through the gates of hell to manifest as Amaleks in this time. And I want to quickly tell us three ways that we have, that we experience Amalekites now in our days, particularly as it has to do with our work of holiness with God. The first one is 
our flesh. Somebody say the flesh. You see, your flesh and my flesh is such an easy bait for the devil that he finds it so easy to use it to control us and use it to cause us to want to obey him to do things that we wish not to do or to refuse to do the things that we ought to do. In Romans chapter 7, let's read Romans chapter 7 verse 23. We're going to come back to Exodus 17, but let's read Romans 7 verse 23 to 25. Let's quickly read that now. He said, but I see, read with me, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Somebody say they are warring against the law of my mind. The law of my mind is the law of Christ. The Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. So as a child of God, the law of your mind is the law of Christ. But the Bible says there are some things in my member. Paul himself said, I see some things warring against that law. And he's bringing me into captivity, into the law of sin. Look at what he said in verse 24. Go to verse 24. He said, these things are in my members. And in verse 24, go to verse 24, please. He said, oh, let's read together. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of dread? That is to say, I cannot do it myself. Don't forget, there was a battle in Rephidim. The children of Israel were facing the Amalekites. They had never fought a war. So it was obvious that it was not something they could do. They had no tactics. Amalekites have been fighting wars before they got there. So there was nothing they could do about it. And that is for you and I to understand that if we are trying to fight the enemy in our flesh, with our flesh, we are wasting our time. If we are trying to use our power and our sense knowledge, we are wasting our time. That's why Paul said, I am a wretched man. He said, who will deliver me from this body of death? But let's quickly look at what he said in verse 25, because that reveals to us what he knew that could only be his deliverance. Let's read verse 25 loud and clear. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. May we continue to overcome the flesh. I say, may we continue to overcome the flesh in the name of Jesus. He said, through Jesus Christ. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. You and I can do nothing without him. He said that through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, I am now able with my mind, through Jesus, serve the law of God. And so if you read on Romans 8, 1 and 2, which we usually quote, say, Now, therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation for us who are where? In Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Verse 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. Your flesh must be put under subjection every time. Nobody is ever above the warring of the flesh with your mind. Your flesh is devil's territory. He desires to use it to stop you. Don't think that any negative tendency of your life will suddenly just vanish because you pray the prayer of confessing your life to Jesus one day. No. In fact, the very day you make that prayer... There is something that is activated in your flesh to keep warring against that commitment. So every child of God must understand. It is not for us to be afraid of the flesh. 
is for us to know how to keep tapping into the grace that is in Christ Jesus to continue to overcome every trace of Amalek in our flesh. May God continue to give us victory in the name of Jesus. We must not take for granted the things that the devil uses for us, against us. If you notice any trend of your life that is a limit or a limitation rather to your walk of holiness, don't just say, oh, that is me, I cannot change. If you are prone to anger, anger is not the spirit of God. It is the spirit of the enemy. And you must, it's not part of the fruit of the spirit. You must continue to make war against it. And then you take the steps that will help you to overcome anger. If you are prone and always yielding to lust of any kind, the lust for food, the lust for illicit relationships, and the lust for evil passions like that, don't just say, oh, that is my weakness. No, you must make every conscientious effort to abide in Christ and take the right steps to prevent yourself from walking in those lusts. Hallelujah. If you are prone to lying, look at the things that make you lie. Is it under pressure that you lie? Or is it that when you are speaking with a group of people, because you just suddenly find that because they lie and everybody is lying, so you too, you throw your own inside. <laughs> you throw your own because everybody is lying. <laughs> no, avoid that group. That's the first step to take. Avoid being in that group because the moment you are there, there will be the temptation and the flesh will take over. The flesh will take over and help you to, to commit that thing that weighs down your spirit man. The Bible says we must lay aside every sin and every weight that easily beset us. May God help us to continue to overcome the flesh in the name of Jesus. We must understand this because it's, it is an intentional work. The Amalek in the flesh is not one that gives up easily. Till Jesus comes, we will battle it, we will fight it. The Bible says, let him that takes his stand, let him take heed, lest he falls. Because what you think you have overcome, at times, five years later, it just shows up again. And you'll be shocked. you say, wow, I never knew I could still do this. I never knew I could still think like this. I never knew I could still say this. Praise the Lord. You will keep overcoming him. This is not to make you afraid or to make you sin conscious or to make you worry. It is just for you to know that you have authority over that thing that wants to keep threatening you in the flesh. And you will keep overcoming him in the name of Jesus. Then we also have the Amalek that walks through other people. First is ourselves, our flesh, but we also have the Amalek that walks through other people. Paul wrote a valedictory letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is one of my favorite chapters of scripture. And I know some of you will say, Pastor, you say that about almost every scripture you use. But then, that is it. Everything is favorite for me. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul was saying to this young, vibrant, new, upcoming minister... And I'm going to be leaving you shortly, but uh, I'm just paraphrasing verse 1 to verse 13. He said, but I want you to hold firm to the things I've committed to you. He said, these are end times. He said, people will no longer want to endure sound doctrine. People will reject people who are trying to give them the right teachings, but they will want to go to those because of their itching ears, those that will speak what suits them. And we're seeing it today in our generation. A lot of times, the crowd-gathering messages are not the messages that truly give people stability and the truth of Scripture. They are the creamed messages that just give some dimensions. And God is my witness. There are fantastic men and women of God all over the world preaching sound doctrine and still commanding the crowds to the glory of God. But in many, many cases, what you find is that where the crowd wish to gather is really where things that are stood in the flesh is just being preached and no more. 
anywhere where you are talking about walking in holiness like this, anywhere you are talking about having to be sound and having to be strong, most of the time are not things that are easy to go by. Paul said to Timothy, he said, don't worry about that. He said, stay focused on your ministry. When you have time, read 2 Timothy chapter 4 from verse 1 right through down to verse 13. He said to him, he said, you have to keep worrying. He said, I have fought the good fight. He said, I have won the race. He said, I have kept the faith. He said, I wish you do the same. I'm paraphrasing all that. He said, I wish you do the same. He said, but you know something? There are people who have not done me well. And he began to talk about people like Demas. He said, Demas just left me. He went after the things of this world and he left me alone. And he began to talk about Christians who also left him and went to Galatia. And also about Titus who left him and went to a place called Dalmatia. And he just simply talked about those. But he commended Luke who he said had always been with him. And he also commended Mark. Mark and Paul had a very interesting relationship. At times they did not always agree. But Paul commended Mark. He said Mark has been faithful and he's been good. But in verse 14, he talked about this man that I want you and I to know that we face every time. We face this man called Alexander in our workplaces. We face him in our families, immediate families. We face him in our extended families. We face him in, unfortunately, our church settings. Let's read about Alexander and what Paul said about him. Let's go. Alexander, the coppersmith, did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. Somebody say serious matters. Paul was a very gracious man. He was a very loving man. He was a very compassionate man. He was a man who worked hard. And he said in Acts chapter 20, he said, you see, I worked so hard that I didn't need to depend on people for ministry. The day I saw that in scripture, I said, Lord, I thank you for this. I want to live like that. He said, these hands of mine provided for me the things I use for ministry and even for those who are around me. Paul was somebody who did not like for people around him to suffer. He wouldn't, he wouldn't just curse people. He wouldn't just speak negatively against people. Paul was somebody who loved people. In Acts chapter 27, ships of people, the ship containing him and other people were about to capsize. He assured everybody to be at peace. Paul was that kind of person. But for Paul to say, look, there is this person called Alexander the coppersmith. He did me much harm. Go back to verse 14. He did me much harm. Say, may the Lord repay him according to his works. It was really serious matters. You and I will face Alexanders in our lives. And I may say, if I may say this to you, it may not sound something that you would like, but it is something that would help you and I. You and I must also avoid being an Alexander the coppersmith. Let us avoid doing people harm. You will face people who will do you harm. You can't do anything about that. But you and I can avoid doing people harm. I have found that my own commitment is to love. The commandment says what? Love God with all my heart and love my bread neighbor as what? As my. He never said and expect them to love you back. Because you can't control that. I can control how I love you. I can't control how you love me. You have to make up your mind to love me. Alexander the coppersmith, the Bible says, Paul said, he did me much harm. It was a painful thing for Paul. Verse 15, he said, you also, Timothy, you are a minister going up. 
And I know that these are people who are peddling about and you may come across. I'm paraphrasing. He said, but you beware of him. Beware of him. He greatly resisted our words. Verse 16. He said, at my first defense, verse 16. He said, read with me now. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but did what? All forsook me. He said, may it not be charged against them. You can see him again being forgiven. Paul said, this man led a band of people against me. Alexanders are very, very many in our times. The devil, it is not, they are not the devils, but it is people who have allowed the devil to use them. They will happen in your workplace whether you like it or not. From time to time, you see them surface in churches. And they go from church to church. It's just a matter of time if they don't deal with that spirit that always spreads dissension and strife through their lives. They keep spreading it like evil. He said, this Alexander the coppersmith, he did me much evil. He made sure that everyone forsook me. He said, may it not be charged against him and against all of them. Hallelujah. But this is an Amalekite that we will fight in these times. If you are going somewhere, if you are going to do anything for good or for God, like my great mentor, Peter J. Janels, would always say, he said, if you are going to do anything for good or for God, you will be criticized. You will be opposed. You will find the Alexanders that will show up in your life. Jesus had Alexanders that showed up in his times. One of them was called Judas. The Bible says, and Satan entered into Judas. And Jesus saw that it had happened. He said to him, whatever you have to do, do it quickly. He said to Peter, he said, Peter, the enemy desires to sift you as wheat. <laughs> he said, but I have prayed for you. Again, another one that God changed his name. His own name was Simon, which meant reed, can be blown up and down. Imagine if he was still called Simon. That prayer would have been double the prayer that Jesus needed to, to keep him stable. <laughs> because he had changed his name to rock. <laughs> and he still had to pray for him not to be blown away as wheat. The devil walks through people. You and I must make up our minds that we will not allow ourselves to be used of the devil. I wish I can tell you that it can only happen through people that don't really care about you and you are not close to. But many times, Alexanders are really people that you took as your very, very close brothers and sisters. People that are very close to you. People that you have shared your secrets with. People that know your weaknesses. It's very easy for them to use it against you instead of praying for you and standing with you. It's very easy for them to abuse you with it instead of them being with you in your time of trial. You tell somebody, I have this need. Brother, this is a big need in my life. I've struggled this all my life and this and that. And suddenly the devil enters such person and now begins to be the broadcaster of that your challenge. May God continue to deliver us in the name of Jesus. But let us understand these are the Amalekites against the church today. Many pastors have lost their calling and have lost their, have burnt out in ministry because they allowed the Amalekites that walked through the likes of Alexander's, the coppersmiths. They allowed people that they loved. You don't know what it is for a pastor. A pastor is just a man or a woman like you, they have emotions. They have feelings. You have no idea. After taking, hearing your own story and your challenge and crying with you and walking with you and hearing this one and crying and walking and hearing that one and crying and walking and committing and praying, then they go home and face their own. <laughs> the 
they go home and now have to commit their own to God because they are also going through challenges. They are also paying school fees. They also have parents that are aged. They also have people that fall sick. They themselves fall sick at times. So many pastors have allowed, and if you are hearing this by video or by audio or by video, and you are a pastor, you are in ministry, I want you to understand that you must keep allowing God to be your strength. The Alexanders will not cease. The operation of Alexanders will continue to be evident in our midst. It is an end time spirit, unfortunately, that we have to deal with. You don't know what it is to go and sit down with a couple four hours, five hours and pray with them and walk with them and spend of your time denying your own family, your children, your own wife of those precious hours. You go to this house and sit down and walk with them through their own challenges. You are living, you put money down, you put everything down and a year down the line they look at you in the face and tell you off. You don't know how difficult it can be. It is very painful. But you must understand that these are Amalekites. That the same rod of Moses that defeated in Rephidim is still available to defeat today. And God will continue to help you and I to overcome them all. In the name of Jesus. Some of you will say, but pastor, I'm not a pastor and I'm not uh, in frontline ministry, so how does this apply to me? They go everywhere. People that you have told things. How many of you have planned something at work? There was a, a problem in your, your, your workplace and you de decided as a team that you are going to present it before management. And uh, you took everybody's word for, for, for truth. And then you got there and suddenly find that you are the only one speaking <laughs> by yourself. Everybody else has, <laughs> has done the politics behind. And you, are, you, you came with all guns blazing that we are here, five of us, to take on this management. <laughs> and then they say, sit down. And you, you didn't know. Innocently, you agreed to be the spokesman. You say, yeah, what we want is our five-point agenda about how things can change in this place. A, B, C, D, E. They say, okay, have you finished? They say, yes. That's why we are all here. Then they ask Mr. B. They say, Mr. B, what is your own point? He say, actually, I'm, uh, I have no problem whatsoever. <laughs> you look at Mr. B, you say, ah, bro, what is happening? He looks at you and says, he won't even look at you. He'll be looking at the ceiling. <laughs> and then they say, okay, any other person? They say, you, Mrs. Uh, C, what is your own comment? They say, actually, it, it is uh, this man that didn't understand us. <laughs> what we are saying is the management here is very, very good. Everything is okay. <laughs> and then suddenly, you will feel like fish out of water. The whole people have deserted you. Look at that. Look at that. Go to verse 15. The whole people have deserted you. So I'm not talking about something about ministry. Go back to verse 14. Let's start for verse 14 again, quickly. Verse 14. He said, Alexander the Coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him. Now go back to verse 15. We are reading it through again. You must also beware of him, for he greatly has resisted our words. Verse 16 now. Verse 16. At my first defense, what? No one stood with me, but did what? All forsook me. People will keep forsaking you. People will forsake you. You must know how to keep your focus on Jesus Christ. The rod of God that was lifted up in, at the battle in Rephidim against the Amalekites. So that God can continue to be your defense. May the Lord continue to stand for you. In the name of Jesus. And then thirdly, the Amalek of our day are spiritual forces of evil. 
Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that we do not wrestle, my friends. He said, be strong, verse 10, in the Lord and in the power of his might. For we do not wrestle, verse 11, against flesh and blood, but against what? Verse 12, sorry, verse 12. Against flesh and blood, but what? Against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Verse 13. Verse 13, let's read that together. He said, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done what all to stand. You will need to understand that there are spiritual battles. Many of us in Christendom have either underplayed or overplayed the place of spiritual warfare. We have either overblown it out of proportion, calling everything spiritual warfare. We don't read for an exam. We go and write the exam. We don't pass. We say, demons are against me. That's no demon, my, my brother. That is you not reading for exam. <laughs> for exam. You prepare yourself. You go for an exam. That is a simple rule. But if you have prepared, you have worked hard, you have done everything, and then you sat down there, you pick up the pen to write, and then the whole thing looks like you are looking at a, 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 a cup of water. You need to do something about that. That one is no more just physical. I know scientists would still explain it and call it memory block, but there are some demons that is blocking that memory. <laughs> the Bible says the memory of the righteous is what? It's blessed. It's blessed. So there should be no memory block. The devices of evil is to create those kind of things. The Bible says take up the whole armor of God so that you can withstand in the evil day. So there are spiritual forces that we have to keep contesting. If you notice a sudden change of attitude, uh, a change of atmosphere in your home, don't just take it for granted. You are all watching TV now, except you are watching Nigeria match. That is another matter. That is your business. But if you are, if you are watching TV now, <laughs> you are watching TV now, and suddenly everything was going okay, but then suddenly somebody is arguing. He said, that is it. The other one says, it's not. And then suddenly the whole place is heated up. Don't take it for granted. Don't take it for granted. Go to your closet. One of you should go to your closet and begin to rebuke foul spirits in the atmosphere. I've done it loads of times. It works 100% of the time. I go somewhere private. I cleanse this atmosphere. Because something has gone wrong. Don't say we're just having a heated argument. What is heated argument? The place is being charged. The devil is taking over. There are spiritual forces in the heavenlies that are Amalekites of our time. May God continue to give us victory over them. In the name of Jesus. Please, by all means, keep watching Nigeria if you are from that country. Keep watching them and wish them well. This is World Cup time if you are listening to this later on. Wish them well. So, <laughs> so these are the things. Verse 9. Let's go back to Exodus. I need to round this up now because of time. This is a very, very important message. So I'm taking time, but I will be rounding up shortly. Exodus chapter 17 Verse 9, the Bible says, And Moses said to Joshua, Choose some men and go out and fight. God is very, very interesting. When I read things, these are people who have never fought before. So what are they going there to do? But for the sake of emphasis, for you and I to know that this fight we are talking about is not a battle for you and I. We are in it, but it's not our battle. It is the battle of the Lord. Hallelujah! He said, you take them, go and fight with Amalek. Now look at what he said next. The person who said they should go and fight. Look at what he said. He said, tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with what? The rod of God in my hand. That is now, look at, look at the next verse, verse 10. 
He said, Joshua, verse 10. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. Moses said, I will stand on top of a hill with the rod of God in my hand. Even though you are going to fight, look at what he said. And Moses and Aaron and her, we know that they supported uh, Moses when he lifted up his hand. Verse 11, verse 11. He said, and so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel did what? He prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek did what? Prevail. May God continue to help us to prevail. In the name of Jesus. Lifting up our hands, simply talk about us constantly worshiping. We started this meeting today. God spoke something very powerfully through uh, our worship leader today, Brother Fulani, and he said something. He said, worship is a lifestyle. Very true. Worship is a lifestyle, something we live all the time. We do praise. The Bible commands us to praise. But the Bible says, now is the time. John chapter 4, verse 23. He said, now is the time that they that must worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. John 4, 23 and 24. He said, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. Worship must continue to be a lifestyle for you. Something you are doing all the time. So if it is a lifestyle, what does it mean? Does it mean I have to be singing songs all the time? No. Worship is not just about singing songs. It's about giving reverence to God with my talents, with my abilities, with everything in me. Always lifted up to God to say, Lord, you are my refuge. Lord, you are my sustainer. Hallelujah. This is what worship is and that is how it is a lifestyle to us. It is also, the hands lifted up with the rod also signifies prayer and intercession. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 8 says, I desire therefore that men everywhere... Lifting up holy hands without wrath or doubting. First Timothy 2.8. He said, I desire that therefore that men everywhere pray. Lifting up holy hands without what? Wrath or doubting. Verse 12. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 17 verse 12. He said, Moses' hand became heavy. And so they took a stone and put it under him. On one side and Aaron held him on the other side. And then the hands were steady again until the going down. This weariness is for us to understand that there are times that we will feel heavy. The Bible says in Mark chapter 14, we don't need to turn to it. Jesus spoke to Peter. He said, can't you pray with me for one hour? You are sleeping. The Bible says that in verse 38, he said, watch and pray. Mark 14, 38. Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is what? Is weak. The flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. We must continue to make sure that we don't allow the weak flesh to stop us from praying. This is why ever since we started this year as a church, praying every day of the week, the weekday, Monday to Friday, we have been seeing God's hand work in diverse ways. And this is what believers must keep doing. There is a battle. Joshua in the battleground represents let's go to verse 13 joshua in the battleground represents jesus christ yeshua mark uh, exodus 17 13 says so joshua defeated amalek and his people with the edge of the sword the sword and joshua all are a type of jesus christ yeshua the sword represents the sword of the spirit we read about that in ephesians chapter 6 verse 17 Ephesians 6.17 says, Take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. 
every time we must continue to take on the sword of the spirit declare the word of god in your prevailing circumstances if you want to see jehovah nisi manifest keep declaring the word of god don't let the devil make you say what he wants you to say by the picture he's he's placing ahead of you you say what the scripture says you should say that is why you must know what the word of god says about a matter and may god continue to grant you victory in the mighty name of jesus then verse 14 finally let's read that together loud and clear he said then let's read verse 14 let's quickly then the lord said to moses write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of joshua that i will utterly blot out the remembrance of amalek from under heaven i say he will blot it out in the name of jesus there are many instances of scripture that we found that amalek did not just exist here it was the first time we heard about them but in numbers 14 again we heard that they attacked the children of israel in first samuel chapter uh 20 in first samuel chapter 27 they they attacked the people of david in ziklag before that time saul faced amalek isn't it and he was supposed to kill all of them he spared agag <coughs> the king <coughs> excuse me and it was after that time that the the, the bible says that Samuel came and chopped Agag into pieces because Amalek is an arch, arch enemy of God. They, that is why he kept on saying, I will destroy him forever. He kept on manifesting. When he came to David in Ziklag and they went to recover all, the Bible says some of them escaped. Those ones that escaped, we read about them again. They became the ancestors of Haman in the days of Esther that wanted again to destroy all the Jews. Haman was a descendant of Agag. So it is so important for us to understand that this is a lifelong battle. The devil, the spirit of the Amalek, Amalekite is a living spirit that we will continue to contest with until Jesus comes to give us final victory over him. I say we will keep having victory over him in the name of Jesus. And so Moses built an altar there and said, oh, this place, in verse 15, he said, This place shall be called the Lord is my banner. This place shall be called the Lord is my banner. Amen. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. Somebody say Jehovah Nisi. This is so important for us to learn today. And I want to just remind us that the Lord who is our banner is an everlasting God. Jehovah said that all you need to do is to keep remembering that he is the one who promised that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Isaiah prophesied concerning him. It will be our last scripture in Isaiah 59, verse 19. Isaiah 59 from verse 19. Thank you for your patience today, but this is so important to me, and I believe it is going to help you. Isaiah 59 from verse 19. Let's read together. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun when the enemy comes in like a flood the spirit of the lord will lift up a standard against him verse 20 the redeemer will come to zion and to those who turn from transgression in jacob says the lord somebody say thank you lord for the redeemer Let's read verse 21 loud and clear as we close. Verse 21 together. As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them. 
My spirit who is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth nor from the mouth of your descendants nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants says the Lord from this time and forevermore. We are still living in that forevermore time. May the word of God continue to come out of our mouth. In the name of Jesus, rise to your feet and begin to declare the word of God right now.